0: Welcome to Is This Real Life? A Bravo podcast that relates our favorite shows to our own lives in the world around us. I'm your host, Mandy Slutsker. Let's get to it. Hi, real lifers. Welcome to episode 128. I feel like we had another really good week in Bravo. There is so much content. I'm just, I'm so thankful that, you know, the second year into this pandemic, that there at least is some really amazing things to watch on TV. And of course, I am talking about the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City finale. I thought it was phenomenal. I'm so happy that it was an hour and a half. And then, of course, Summer House premiered this week. So this week's episode is going to be a little bit different First, I'm going to go through some of my top of mind thoughts um, and big takeaways from the shows that we watched this week. Then Jamie Stein is going to drop by for 20 minutes and explain to me why he believes that Hannah Burner is the real and true villain of Summer House. And I very much actually agree with him now. And then um, Steve from At Faces by Bravo joins me to have kind of like a longer conversation and thoughts about kind of how housewives react to the audience watching the show back and also to do more of a deep dive into Bethany versus Carol. So hope you guys enjoy my chat with Steve. He is so lovely. And of course, Jamie Stein is my absolute favorite empath and intuitive. Always love to hear his takes. So first, I want to talk about The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. I just thought it was really interesting that Lisa is the only one of the women that reached out to Jen after Vegas, and I can't tell if Lisa is being calculating and is trying to think, okay, well, once the audience watches, they don't usually like when we all ice someone out or someone is picked on, so I'm going to go after sort of the underdog. Or if she's just truly a kind person who felt bad seeing Jen cry. But regardless, she reaches out to Jen and they go for drinks. While they're having drinks, Jen explains to Lisa that the other women misinterpret what she says. And they take things out of context. So, (laughs) I mean, I don't know how you take out of context talking about Meredith and Seth's marriage. She said all of those things. And I don't know how you take out of context, you know, what she said to Whitney. Oh, if you ever tell anyone what I said, I'll drown you in the lake behind your house. I don't know if she thinks it's funny, if it's her humor, if it's how she talks to her husband or her family members, but clearly, you know, Whitney doesn't think it's how she should be spoken to. And it's just very interesting to me that. Jen claims that the reason that she kind of acts the way she does is because of her culture and because she grew up as a non-white person in predominantly white Utah and always had to fight for everything. And this just, I, it struck me as odd because most of the black and brown people that I know that grew up in predominantly white areas learned from a very young age to code switch, right? To speak in a manner that was consistent with their white peers to be able to blend in more rather than stand out. And it just, I don't know, none of it kind of made sense to me. What about your culture makes you, you know, kind of hit or slap Heather or get in Whitney's face? So the only thing I could kind of get in my mind as like an explanation is that Jen communicates this way with her family, with her husband, with her kids, with other members of her family. She has outbursts and then they she apologizes and they move forward. And then she has outbursts and then it's like a constant cycle, right? But that form of communication, while maybe it's considered normal or it's considered okay in her household or with her family, you know, these other women don't think that form of communication is okay and they get hurt, I believe rightly so, when Jen has these outbursts or when she touches them or invades their personal space. And I, the only reason I can think that this keeps happening is because the only people Jen seems to surround herself with, at least what we're seeing on the show, is either her family, right? Her husband, her children, or the Shaw Squad people that she pays to be around her. And none of those people seem to call her out or tell her that the behavior is unacceptable, right? And so she keeps doing it. And she's finally, you know, has these friendships And she has these outbursts in her friendships. And, you know, they're not her family, right? And they're not paid to be around her. And so they're like, screw this. I don't need to be screamed at. I don't need to have someone yell at me like this. I don't need to be treated this way. So it'll be interesting to see on the reunion how Jen tries to explain everything. Because I don't think it makes sense to blame every like how she behaves completely on her culture. And it's a misunderstanding of these white women of her culture. But let me know if you disagree. (laughs) It's just sort of like my big takeaway on that. What else is interesting is that to the women's face, Jen is apologizing, right? So she apologizes to Whitney. She says all the right things. But then in the confessionals, which are, you know, seemingly filmed months later, she is saying, What the fuck am I sorry for? I don't know. You know, there's some cookies over there I want to go eat. Although, didn't she say she was on a keto diet? Like, what is it, Jen? I don't know. I feel like there's not a lot of consistency with her. And it'll be interesting to see how the women react to her confessionals, where she really doesn't seem like she's sorry for anything. I am so excited, though, that we have a three part reunion. Again, I don't know if we've ever had a first season of Housewives franchise that had a three-part reunion. I do think there is enough for three parts. Clearly, Bravo did, and I cannot wait to watch it. Um, Some other thoughts. So on Atlanta, they've got their beach trip to the Isle of Palms. You've got Marlo getting the bad room, and she decides to sleep in the living room, which I found hilarious. This murder mystery night that... (laughs) That Kenya tries to plan just does not go over well. No one seemed to want to do it. You know, these women are finally away from their children, and they want to let loose and have a good time. And I just, nothing is kind of working out the way I think Kenya had in her mind. You know, and that includes food. So she had all of these groceries delivered and they're in the refrigerator. But of course, they're things that you would have to cook. And when people are on vacation, they usually don't really want to be cooking. And so they were really hungry for lunch. And (laughs) just couldn't get over that Kenya seemed to order Uber Eats just for herself and nobody else. It's just like, so Kenya. Um, I also loved the Drew and LaToya dynamic where, you know, LaToya thought she could like, you know, outread Drew by giving her like saying she's going to purchase a wig for her. But then Drew's like, you know, I see you've been watching me. It seems like you're a big fan. You know what I do for my fans? And then gives her an autograph. That was pretty awesome. I'm just really excited for next week. This trip is so fun. I laughed throughout this entire episode and can't wait to see what happens with all of these strippers. You know, we've been hearing for a while. I feel like it's going to be really good. Then we go to Dallas. And I feel like, I don't know, I don't think I really liked this episode of Dallas. It just felt annoying because it was a fight between two friends, Deandra and Carrie, who I mean... I've watched Alice since the beginning and I never realized that Deandra and Carrie were even friends. I feel like they're trying to sell us on like, oh, they became friends while doing these trunk shows, but I feel like they just spent time together and realized they hated each other. <laughs> like, you know, so there's this like whole fight about, you know, Tiffany and her job and whether or not it's stressful, and then Carrie tries to, you know, explain how she's stressed because her daughter's suicidal and I don't know. Carrie is just so unlikable. I don't know if we've had a housewife that just frustrates everyone. Like this since Teddy Mellencamp. It's just, I don't want to hear her. I don't want to like see her talk to her kids on the screen. You know, when she tried to have a conversation with her daughter, Sophia, about the divorce, you know, her and Sophia's father's divorce, Sophia didn't want to have that conversation either at all or on camera. And it's also like, didn't you get divorced 12 years ago? Like, why is this the first time you're checking in on your daughter and how she's doing? Like, and why are you doing it on camera? I don't know. Carrie just uh, can't get can't get it together, and it's making Deandra much more likable, even though she's been so annoying in this episode because of how frustrated she is with Carrie. One thing that I feel like kind of was said and then just dismissed right away is so Jen mentioned the reason she doesn't drink is because she had a problem with alcohol. And Deandra opens up about a cocaine addiction in her 20s. And I just found this really interesting. I would like to know more about Deandra's cocaine addiction. Like, when did that start? Like, how long was she in rehab? Has she never touched it since? You know, there's a lot of questions left. I want to hear more. We also got some really good scenes with Tiffany at her home and talking to her husband, and he just seems like such a gem. You know, she was saying, like, it's like her whole life she wanted to climb this mountain, you know, kind of becoming a doctor. And then now she's like, why did I climb the mountain again? And I feel like that's very relatable. You know, when you achieve something and you're like, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? And you feel torn. I also think that she has a lot in common with Dr. Wendy on Potomac because, you know, they're both immigrants, right? They're and they're the daughter of immigrants um, and of parents who really pushed them to, you know, achieve greatness. And it appears, you know, that with Tiffany, she just doesn't feel like she's ever achieving what she's supposed to do be achieving and that, you know, her parents gave up really good lives in China to come to the United States. And she feels like she's repaying her parents' success and has to succeed to make their sacrifice worthwhile. And I related to that in a way as the daughter of an immigrant. You know, my father's from the former Soviet Union, but what's interesting is like how he talked to me and my brother was that he just wanted us to be able to have a choice with what we wanted to do with our lives, with our careers and families and everything, you know, choose how we wanted to live. And that's all he really wanted for us is to be able to do the best we could in whatever we chose to do. Because in Russia, you didn't really get to choose what you wanted to do. You were kind of told what career path um, based on your test scores. And you know, in my dad's case, his ethnicity being Jewish, he wasn't allowed to pursue certain jobs or certain things. So, but I always am interested in these immigrant stories. Okay, that brings us to Southern Charm. This reunion, my God, I mean, <laughs> it was just so explosive. It was better than the entire season. I just couldn't look away. I mean, Craig was so drunk and was just ready to call. Everyone out on everything. I felt like he was really pushy with John Pringle, and and you know why did he move away from his kids and all of that? You could tell it was a touchy area. I don't know why that's something he decided to zero in on. Um, it was also interesting, just kind of seeing everything play out with Austin and Madison. You know, last season, I think the viewers were kind of led to believe that. Austin was the one at fault in their relationship, and he was the fuckboy, and he, you know, had that threesome and all of that. But you can tell now that, like, it's just an incredibly toxic relationship um, from, you know, both sides. But it appears that Madison is the one that kind of always has the upper hand and knows how to torment Austin. And I just, I don't know, I feel like she's somewhat emotionally abusive to him. Like, the stuff she was shouting at him in the last episode, you know, you're such a beta and all of that. It was so weird and not okay in any way, shape, or form. It also kind of always left me wondering, you know, why doesn't he just walk away? But he clearly is drawn to her in some way, and they share some sort of, like, toxic emotional connection. I really hope he's truly done with her and can move forward. Um, Of course, all of the stuff with Catherine's apology for her racist comments, you know, finally came to light. She finally apologized. I thought it was a productive conversation with the whole group, you know, talking about, you know, Andy asked, you know, were your ancestors slave owners? And Shep was like, yep. And I think, you know, just having the conversations and not coming from a place where everyone feels like they have to be so defensive is a really good thing. And I hope it's a really good thing for the viewers who were, you know, defending Catherine when there was no reason to defend her. No one was trying to cancel her. They just wanted her to be accountable for the things that she said and explain, you know, why that's not okay to say those things. So. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I'm pretty sure that Madison single-handedly got them renewed for another season, so I'm sure we will see that coming up next year. And that takes us to Summer House. My God, I love Summer House. I feel like It is the breath of fresh air that we have been waiting for this whole year that it was the best first episode of, you know, anything filmed during the pandemic. It addressed it, but it wasn't obsessing over it. And I don't know. I thought they did a phenomenal job. So now you guys are going to listen to my conversation with Jamie Stein, who explains why he thinks Hannah is the true villain of Summer House and not Lindsay. So have to tell me what you guys think about all this. As always, please follow me on social media at ITRL underscore podcast. And love hearing from all of you. Love to get DMs. So please send those. And if you enjoy the podcast, you know, go give it a five-star rating and leave a nice review. They always make me smile. You guys have left such nice reviews lately. I <laughs> Just like, I love it. I really, really appreciate it. Um, everyone who listens to this podcast. Okay, without further ado, here is Jamie, and then we're gonna go right into my conversation with Steve from At Faces by Bravo. Hi everyone, I am here with everyone's favorite empath and intuitive, Jamie Stein. He pulled me in with a tweet that he sent out a couple days ago. And I think, Jamie, correct me if I'm wrong, you were finishing up season four of Summer House.
1: Yeah, I watched three season three and four.
0: And so you tweeted out that you're a Kyle Cook apologist, that you'd watch a show of just Jordan in a city, that Luke is simply an elevated and slightly less awkward version of Jordan, and that Hannah is the true villain of Summer House. Now... <laughs> yes. I really want to focus more on the fourth point that you made Mm -hmm. about Hannah. Because, you know, I've been watching Summer House as it aired each time. So there's been some space in between each time Mm -hmm. I've watched it. But after kind of seeing Hannah on Bravo chat room and how she's conducted herself on social media. And then last January, I actually saw her do stand up live. I'm starting to feel like you are onto something. So I was wondering if you could just expand upon why you think Hannah is the true villain of Summer House.
1: Oh, definitely. It's funny too, because I actually, because I've never watched it before, I'm so in the dark about public perception of Summer House and what people think of the different cast members and even stuff like the Bravo chat room. So it's been funny because since I posted that, especially on Instagram, a lot of people were saying like, oh my God, like apparently this is a controversial statement. I didn't even know it was a controversial statement. It's like just what I see and hear and believe, but yes, I'm happy to go into it. Um, Basically for me, my, my experience of Hannah as the villain really coalesced towards the end of season four. I felt like I had major reservations about, um, particularly the way she was treating Lindsay, I felt like what I saw her doing was running to Lindsay, complaining about Paige and Amanda and their treatment of her. And you know, there's Lindsay whom I actually really love. She's such a wild card, but she's wild and she's a little crazy. you know, so she's a little you know, she's very enthusiastic, she'll really have your back. And so you know, there Lindsay is, like having Hannah's back you know, kind of supporting her and and her issues with Paige and Amanda. And then I feel like what Hannah then would do is she'd make up with Paige and Amanda and then immediately spill the beans about what Lindsay was saying about them with no real ownership of her part in it, of saying like, well, hey, I was like going to her, I was venting, she was supporting me. Mm -hmm. She just sort of presents it as, well, Lindsay was talking shit about you. That then winds up Paige and Amanda they go on the attack to Lindsay who, you know, poor Lindsay, she's sitting there feeling blindsided one night on her actual birthday, literally in tears. And then you see Hannah with Lindsay in the aftermath and Lindsay's sort of expressing her hurt and her confusion and her anger. And again, at no point does Hannah say, well, you know what? I actually went to them and like told them what you said. And I actually had issues with what you said. She almost presents herself as like, A confidant to Lindsay in those moments and I just feel like I watched her whether it was consciously or unconsciously pitting these two camps against one another and then sort of backing off and sort of wiping our hands of it so I'm taking in this information and then I'm hearing Paige and Amanda saying to Hannah well look The reason why we're so upset with Luke and going so hard after him is we're going off of what you told us. You're the one who told us he was controlling. You're Mm -hmm. the one who told us he was manipulative. And so then we go to bat for you and now you're getting mad at us for doing that. So when I look at how Hannah has behaved in terms of pitting Lindsay and Paige and Amanda against each other, I start to believe Paige and Amanda when they say, you've been whispering in our ear about Luke and that's what we're going off of. And to me, it just creates this overall impression of Hannah as like, I just think that I just think Hannah does not says what Hannah wants to do and say in the moment. I think that she's she just sort of like flies by the seat of her emotional pants. I think that like she has sort of these big over top emotions that she doesn't sort of know how to control. And in the moment she wants people on her side, she wants people supporting her. And she almost gets this sort of rush out of just sort of running with whatever's happening in the moment. She's not giving any real thought to the fact that like what she's saying has an impact on the people listening and that they're taking her seriously and then when the shit hits the fan and things blow up she really has nothing to say about it as far as her own accountability i feel like she just wants to show up in the moment how she wants to show up with no regard for the consequences and Mm -hmm. if you ever kind of challenge her then she gets pissed at you about it
0: I totally am seeing everything. And it's just so interesting with season five premiering Mm -hmm. and how there was immediate conflict between Lindsay and Hannah, where Lindsay is very clear, you went on a podcast and you said not nice things about me. And I was offended and I decided not to be friends with you and invite you to things, right? And I was very clear about why I didn't invite you to come to my New Year's party and it's just very bizarre. And then we find out that Hannah basically has been insinuating that her and Luke have been sort of kind of dating for a period of seven <laughs> months, which, I mean, come on. Anyways, they <laughs> they never defined anything, right? And then she's going to, like, get upset with him. Anyways, I'm wondering how you felt about the conversation that Hannah and oh. Lindsay had.
1: Oh God, I mean, classic Hannah, classic Hannah. What does Kyle call her? Burn dog? Uh, Or no, that's Luke who calls her burn dog. Um, Classic Hannah. First of all, let's just address the fact that at the start of that conversation, Hannah starts that conversation by saying, I like to be direct. I don't want to do passive aggressive bullshit. Lindsay, you didn't invite me to your New Year's party. Lindsay, as you said, quite reasonably says, you talk shit about me on a podcast. That's why I didn't invite you. Hannah's response to that literally is, um, well, don't do things that make me talk shit about you on a podcast, and I won't talk shit about you on a podcast. And I'm just sitting here like two seconds ago, you were the woman saying that you don't do passive aggressive stuff and that you like to be direct. And yet now you're passive-aggressively saying that it's Lindsay's fault that you went behind her back and aired your issues with her, not directly person-to-person, but instead on this public platform. And not only that, you're doing this at the dinner table in front of everyone, causing a scene on the first night. I mean, I think that's the other thing about Hannah. It's like when you think about 75% of the drama last season, she was at the heart of everything. And here she is, first night, causing... Mayhem. Once again, Lindsay, who I just feel like keeps getting like gaslit and gaslit and gaslit, gets up and leaves. You know, she's disengaging, like Meredith Marks would say. (laughs) And then just even the way that Hannah kind of holds that against her, it's like, oh, don't get up and leave. I'm just sitting there like, you are awful. And then that conversation they have, where I guess they're going to like try to start fresh. And what does Hannah say at the end of that? She says, I'm still going to talk shit about you behind your back. And it's just like, damn, you are such a troublemaker. So passive aggressive. Do
0: you think she's a troublemaker, though, because she wants to make good reality TV? Or do you think this is part of kind of her persona and who she's always been?
1: My sense is this is who she is. I think that it's so hard for her. Oh, Oh, I started feeling things. Um, I think it's so hard for her to contain her own emotional experience. Like, I think she's got all these feelings that bubble up. It's almost like... A kid. It's some people have been saying that in my Instagram comments. Like, she's like got like the emotional maturity of like a 12 year old and it's like that's kind of what it feels like she feels like this kid who has all these emotions and it's almost like she doesn't know how to tolerate them or what to do with them and she just wants the freedom to spin out with them and like do whatever she wants to do in the moment and it's almost like like I hear a voice just saying I'm gonna do what I want to do and you can't stop me and it's almost like if she had to actually like get still and like get into her body and sort of tolerate her own feelings without spinning into a frenzy and spinning the house in a frenzy. I think there's stuff there that she would really have to tolerate. But at this point, she's just not willing to tolerate.
0: It's just so interesting because she sells herself and promotes herself as someone that's very in tune with her mental health. You know, she, in season three, when she started, she talked about all these issues she had when she was, you know, playing tennis professionally and um, her depression and and all of this. And then on her podcast, she kind of gets into some of the nitty gritty of what it's really like to deal with anxiety and depression in her interviews with other people. But then I get the same sense as you. It kind of, not exactly, but a little bit reminds me of how Bronwyn, you know, talks Mm -hmm. about her sobriety and her issues and how she's dealing with her issues, but I don't see her actually dealing with any issues. I see her kind of spinning and and being afraid to be still.
1: Well, yeah, it's both, right? Yeah, I mean, I think there's something really deceptive about Hannah because, truthfully, I will admit, like, I I didn't know what to make of her at first. Like, I was really ambivalent because there was something setting off my radar. But at the same time, it is true. There's a she's smart, you know, and mm-hmm. there there is kind of like she's able to talk in a way that makes it seem like she has a real emotional facility, you know? Like there's there's sometimes even a way she sounds mature in the way that she navigates relationships. So she talks a really good game and I'm sure she has actually learned things about herself and that she's grown, just like I do believe Bronwyn truly is on a sober journey. She truly yeah. is discovering herself. But there's almost a way that, I think it's an interesting comparison. I think there's a way that both of them then are kind of weaponizing, in a way, what they're learning. And if you actually look at, yeah, Hannah's actions, do they really back up what she's saying with her mouth? I mean, that dinner is just a perfect example where she leads with... I'm direct, I don't want to be passive-aggressive, but then we see her do all these passive-aggressive things. I think she talks a really big game. And even with Amanda and Paige, I feel like there'll be these times where she's like, just be real with me. I'm willing to be real with you. And I remember initially being like, oh, okay, I'm kind of impressed by that. Like, it seems like she's really willing to be in the trenches of relationship. But I think as we see things play out, actually, when she gets really challenged, she does get, Pissed and offended, and it upsets her. So, I think there's a way that she really likes to set things up and call the shots and make things sound good. And she's good at it. She's good at making things sound good. You she know? also
0: seems to like to have control over situations. And it seemed as if last summer, the friendship with her and Luke and the relationship that started was very much, she was very much in control. Right. And then at some point the power shifted, right. Where he clearly had more control over it. And I'm wondering just like kind of your basic read on him. Well,
1: the one thing I'll say though about that before I get to him is it it is interesting because I will say I did feel bad for her during the premiere at the very end when she was like texting him and you really saw I mean, not that we didn't already know this, but you really saw how invested she is in this non-relationship. And I was thinking about that. And I was like, you know, it it was like, she does seem so invested in something that's clearly not a real relationship. And then when you think back to what she has shared about past relationships about, I mean, according to her, like they were abusive relationships. I'm like, okay, this is starting to track. Like, I think this is someone, and to your point about being in control, I think this is someone who actually is like, so scared of being in a truly reciprocal mutual relationship where there would be a true surrender there and even though right now it seems like luca's calling the shots i still think there's an unconscious way she's in control because she's not really having to risk anything in this relationship because it's not a real relationship so i think it, it just sort of speaks again to what i was saying where i think that with hannah I don't think she can sit still at all. And I actually think if Luke suddenly became interested and we're like, okay, let's date within two weeks, she'd find a problem with it. It's what yep. I'm imagining. Um, but to speak to, uh, was there anything you wanted to say before we go to no. Luke?
0: I want to get into Luke.
1: <sighs> Luke. I mean, I just want to say, I just, I, as a viewer, <laughs> I don't like either of them. So I'm just like, is this whole season going to be about Hannah and Luke again? I don't care if they're together. This is a non-relationship. Luke to me, he just, I mean, yeah, he, I mean, what Paige calls him a fuck boy? He just seems really manipulative. I think that he, like the reason why I said he's just a more elevated version of Jordan is just, I just feel like he seems painfully self-conscious to me. It feels like he's cultivated, an affectation of a personality where it's like yeah I'm this I'm this rugged guy from Minnesota and I chop wood and I make jewelry and I look good doing it I just feel like everything just seems so self-aware and self-conscious I think Unlike Jordan is just, I mean, and this is why I love Jordan. And I wish he were there this season. Um, Jordan was just so painfully awkward and self-conscious and had no <laughs> self-awareness. I think that Luke does a better job of it. He is actually gorgeous. You know, he, you know, his accent is really cute. Like there is something genuinely charming about him. But to me, it just all seems like a front and an illusion and that he is all about, playing games, being in control, manipulating people. And um, it just feels really like stunted in a way to me emotionally.
0: Yeah, I I totally feel that. Are you really excited for this season? Do you feel like you're glad that you went through season three and four to get to this place?
1: Yeah. And the last thing I'll say about Luke, too, isn't it? The thing that was so interesting to me was that Sierra is 24 and I went and looked up his age. He's 37. So I just think it's interesting. He seems to be going for these women in their early twenties, you know. Yeah. And I think it speaks to like the power dynamic and whatnot. Um, but to answer your question, yeah, I mean, I was, you know, I, I had avoided Summer House. I, I kind of just thought like, oh, this is just gonna be a bunch of young people drinking. Um, uh, but I got on board and I have to say, like, I think it's a genuinely good show, you know, and I, I think do too. Uh,
0: and i love like it i think it's the best first episode we've seen from covid where like mm. you know they address that there's a pandemic and then they move forward right and it like comes up every so often but it's just i don't know it 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 felt really real and i, I don't know what the word is it just felt like an authentic show that this mm-hmm. is how they would behave anyhow and we kind of got like the real nitty-gritty of what it was like for them for the last six months or however, and now they're going to be stuck. And I am so interested to see how they manage work And having fun because they always say like that's the balance when the show during the week they work hard and then on the weekend they party hard. And so when you're stuck in the same place like how do they draw these boundaries and who draws which boundaries and do others respect boundaries that are drawn.
1: Well, yeah, and I just can't believe we're getting, like, a Big Brother season with them. You know, it's just like, it's like, this just feels like such an experiment. It's like an experiment in the, like, the the art form of reality TV. Um, yeah, I'm excited. It's just such a great cast. I mean, I think, for me, the whole show kind of feels like a lighter version of Vanderpump Rules in the sense that, like, these are real relationships. These are real people. I like that, you know, most of them actually have real jobs. They're They're actually smart. I think that Kyle and Carl's kind of, like, bromance is an amazing heart of the show.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, yeah, so it's just, to me, it's just such a refreshing, and it's genuinely funny. Like, I will laugh out loud. Me too. Um, The one concern I have for this season is, like, <coughs> oh, excuse me. The one concern I have for this season is... I'm curious to see how it goes. I saw in the previews for next week, like they're throwing themselves a disco party. So I wonder if that's going to start feeling a little contrived that they just keep throwing themselves theme parties where no one else is invited, but (laughs) you know, we'll see. We'll see how this pans out. I'm hoping that like, even if that's stilted and awkward, that we're going to gain something by just the claustrophobia of them, like living in this house together 24 seven for six weeks.
0: Totally. I'm so excited. Well, thanks for kind of popping in and just giving some thoughts on summer house. Tell everyone where they can find you and where they can contact you.
1: Um, Yeah. Well, that people should definitely follow me on Instagram, Jamie Stein, J A M I E S T E I N. And, uh, as you know, I have all sorts of like Bravo related content there and I channel housewives and summer house people um and answer quick hit questions. And then um yeah, you can always go to my website too if you're interested in my work. That's Hollywoodreadings.com. Um and actually pretty soon I'm gonna be launching my own podcast.
0: So be on the Oh, I'm so excited about that. I always like see things and wonder, like what, what's Jamie? Like, what's his perception of this?
1: <laughs> it's, I've, I've got a few episodes in the can, so it's forthcoming. I told myself I'd release it this month. It might be March, but it is. So if you want to hear that and you want to know when it's dropping, definitely follow me on Instagram because I'm, I'm sure I will announce it there.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining today.
1: Well, thank you for having me. It was all, It's always a pleasure, Mandy.
0: Hi, everyone. I'm here with Steven from At Faces by Bravo. He's wearing a Brooks Marks signature, what is it, a sweatsuit? Oh, the (laughs) tracksuit. The The tracksuit. Yes. (laughs) I love it.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure.
0: I'm so excited because today we're going to be chatting not about the latest Housewives episodes, but about some deeper conversations we've been wanting to have for a while. So I'm just going to get right into it and start asking you some questions. And then we'll later get into a more in-depth conversation about Bethany and Carol, um, which we've been DMing about a little bit.
2: Sounds good. Let's do it. So
0: you have been doing hilarious reenactments of famous and iconic housewife scenes, sometimes with Christian Snow. Mm -hmm. like. What gives you the inspiration for this? Like how much time does it take to do these? And well, what's your favorite that you've done so, so far?
2: It's so funny because this, I started a long time. I can't even remember. The first one I did was Monique, um, Candace and Ashley back from season three. It's Kind of a, a random moment that I think's iconic, but sometimes a lot of people don't remember until, um, like, I reposted or whatever. It's when they're at the table and Monique goes off saying B- uh, "bottom, bottom behind bitches," because <laughs> yeah. like no one even knows what that means. Like, I, I don't, yeah, I don't even I don't know, know what, what it means. Is. Um, so I just did it one time randomly with the wigs only, and just very basic, and that was the start of it. And then I just slowly started doing more and more. I did the the Amsterdam with Eileen and Kim and um, Who Said That with Atlanta. And then I took a long break and then quarantine came. And of course that just, you know, gave me more opportunity to do these things. And I learned to use a green screen and that was a game changer. Like, cause then oh. I could just put, you know, the background of the scenes in there. And it just made it seem so more, so much more real. Um, the greens doing it with just the wigs was so easy, you know, very quick. But now with the green screen and like learning and doing longer scenes, trying to memorize, you know what's going to be said at the right time and lining it up, it does take a little while. But once you see the end product, it's it's so worth it. It's so funny.
0: Have you had a uh, favorite one that you've done so far? I
2: think my favorite one is Aviva throwing her leg
0: <laughs>
2: because that was, and it the, my favorite part of that actually is just a quick little bit of when Sonia goes, keep it together, Aviva. I don't know why it just like came <laughs> off so well. Um, that one was so good. I mean, I threw a freaking fake leg um, that I ordered off of Amazon. Like it was, <laughs> it's so ridiculous. I mean, I sometimes think like, what the hell is wrong with me, right? Now? <laughs> what am right? I doing?
0: <laughs> but it's I also so think fun. like
2: people that don't nec- know me, which are a lot of people that follow me, don't actually know me, but probably think this guy is nuts. Like he's probably so insane <laughs> when they see these things.
0: <laughs> I love them though. I feel like. It's the same kind of energy as like Ryan Bailey has when he with his like memes and like yes. the obsession with like certain things within the memes. Or mm-hmm. my favorite recent one is Ono oh Bravo, um, made her um and It's All Happening made a remix of when Brittany was doing an ad and she said, I forgot what the ad was for, and it was like It's so you can get, like, you can order groceries, you know, like things that you need on a daily basis, like bananas (laughs) and string cheese or shredded (laughs) cheese. And so they made a remake called Bananas Shredded Cheese and Ono Bravo dresses as a banana and like dances around and is like, bananas shredded cheese, bananas shredded cheese.
2: I love that. That's, <laughs> it's so funny how you can find little things that the Bravo celebrities do or say like Chris, actually speaking of Christian, when we did the Kim and Lisa Rinna in the back of the car on the way yeah, to poker night. I love that. So him and I now <laughs> constantly say to each other, put it on because at the beginning, like when Rinna's getting in the car. Kim was like, I was just about to put some lipstick on. And Rena goes, put it on. And it's just, it's such a stupid, like, little thing. But he and I laugh so hard about it. (laughs) Put it on. And that's literally all we say to each other.
0: And that's what these shows are supposed to do, especially right now when things are so tough and we're in the second year of a pandemic, Mm -hmm. you know, to get joy and to remember to laugh. Because that's what this is all about. Yeah, it's drama. But you laugh. Yes, 1,000%. Speaking of being entertained and laughter and just excitement, you have seen the premiere for The Real Housewives of New Jersey. You got the screener. So tell us, what should we be expecting?
2: Guys, I am not kidding you. The best premiere of all time. And I said, like, I never... Everyone said the christening in season three of Jersey was the best premiere of all time for the longest time. I've never even thought of a premiere like as being like incredible, ep- an, an incredible episode. Like I don't ever think of the premiere as my like, this is how my season's going to be, honestly. Because I feel like a lot of times it's them just like re- revisiting the cast. Like, where what have you been up to? And let's get to know the players kind of deal. It's never for me like... I need to see this incredible show on the on episode one because let's be honest, sometimes we really just need to get reacquainted with them. But I felt Potomac last season; their premiere was the perfect blend of drama and his like. They're it was so funny; those women so funny. The shade, the reeds, the unintentional shade, the confessional, I mean, it was all brilliantly done. That I thought I was like. Honestly, to me, that was like the best premiere. Now, fast forward to Jersey premiere this season. I take that back because this was explosive with drama. And I mean, if this is how the season's going to go, holy shit. We have so much to look forward to. In what I like to say about this season of Jersey, especially even after watching the trailer, which most people have seen, and this, this pilot, or pilot, premiere, um, it gives me you, this new school version of Jersey that we're used to now with, you know, having all these newbies, but old school Jersey, this old school feel. We got the, f- the family drama. We've got um, just the explosive Jersey fights. And I gotta say, one of my favorite things about Jersey that I think I forget about is how much they love to say fuck and curse. <laughs> and, yeah. And it hits different when you watch it on a screener and they don't bleep it out. So it's just so funny hearing them say that so frequently. And I, I love it. I mean, it, it gives you that Jersey feel when they're just like, they go off and they, they're, they it's, you guys, the premiere is everything. And get ready.
0: I am so excited. So another thing you've been hyping up is Married to Medicine. And it's not just you. It's pretty much everyone that I care about and respect in the Bravo universe is telling me to watch Married to Medicine. I have held off mainly because I know they're OBGYNs. And so they deal with a lot of like fertility and pregnant women. And I have my own fertility struggles. So I thought maybe I didn't want to watch it. But people are saying, you know what? Get over it. Watch it. It's so good.
2: And I will say, like, there's, see, last season, there was definitely a very, um, very big storyline that was hard, I I think will be hard, um, regarding fertility struggle and all of that. But overall, there isn't a ton focused on that, Yeah. just to give you some ease going into it. But um, the reason why I, and this is not just me hyping up this show because I just discovered it or any, or like I want to hype up a show on Bravo. Literally, I've been a stan from day one, episode one. And to me, I don't understand, like if people have watched it, you can't fall off of this show. It is better than Housewives. It is better. It's the best show on Bravo. And I've said that from day one. You will not find a more real, authentic, hilarious, dramatic group of women that go through real life struggles on this show and are so open and raw about it and don't run away from it. And then they put it all out there and you learn something from it. And one of the best parts of it is we see them being messy and, you know, the typical reality TV that we need to see. But then we also see them go and do medical missions while they're on their cast trips and stuff or do, um, you know, like a health drive here, you know, checking people's blood pressures. We see them going, you know, leaving to go, you know, deliver a baby or something like that. And um, it's these really, you know, strong, brilliant, affluent black women in their families in Atlanta opening up their lives. And we can learn so much from these people, their marriages, they put their couple or their cast trips are always couples trips that they organize and they talk through issues that they're going through in their lives and how they can get past that. And it's just truly housewives on steroids and just so relatable and so authentic and if you love Housewives and you love Bravo, get into Married to Medicine.
0: Do I need to start with season one? Yes. Okay. That everyone you That's yes. what you're
2: going to say. <laughs> and everyone asks me that season one episode, because people think season one is going to be a dud anyway. Not the case on Married to Medicine. Like we have a full on brawl, like in the mid season that is insane. Um, they're in literally like, full on gowns at a charity <laughs> event and literally grabbing hair like Ooh. purse beating, like Ooh. it's 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 wild. So Oh my god.
0: Okay, so I you've sold me on it. Yes. You've also been a fan of Miami, which we hear is making a comeback. Do you know anything else? Do you know like timeline or just Not at all. So it Was just greenlit?
2: And to car- clarify like for Miami, I just recently reloved loved Miami because for the longest time I've always said like I loved season two and three and I don't think it should have been canceled or anything but I never was like this huge Miami like fan like I loved the some of the personalities I mean Mama Elsa was everything um R.I.P. um love her but I rewatched season two one day when I, uh, it was a random Sunday in quarantine when I, you know, had to wash my wigs. So I got a bucket <laughs> of water, my shampoo, sat in the living room, washed my wigs, <laughs> brushed them out, and put on Miami season two as one does. And um, I forgot how insanely good season two was like top tier level housewives. It was brilliantly done. So that's why I'm now really excited for it to come back because after rewatching, I was like, it was insane. Like the personalities were great, hu- hilarious. Mama Elsa, I mean, that's one that'll be a huge struggle for Miami is losing Mama Elsa because for me, she was everything on that show. But one thing that was very striking rewatching is remembering that Miami had a two a friend of that was a drag queen Mm -hmm. like she was a mate like she was supposed to be full time I believe but I don't think ended up obviously didn't end up making full time and then a trans woman that was a frequent guest so that is stuff that I like to think in 2011 that that was done like sort of ahead of their time and I, I, I applaud that and I want that to be sort of acknowledged and I want that to hopefully moving forward, we see more of that on housewives.
0: Do you know if they're bringing back the same cast or if they're doing like a mix?
2: So I don't know. I don't know anything other than I'd be shocked if Leah Black comes back. Okay. Only because when I did a live with her, um, it was, it felt like, because of everything that's going on right now in our country, you know, she's very, she, she was like, all of that is such BS. Like we need to be focusing on the real stuff. Um, and like we ta- she talked a lot about the political stuff going on and political climate. And maybe I'm wrong in assuming, but I feel like she is like, I don't really want to be part of that kind of that show anymore. There's a lot more real stuff going on in the world. I could be wrong. That's just how I've, how I, I I think see where in, she's at interpreted in life. yeah. As much as I would love her, I think Leah Black is a staple on that show. Um, I could see Lisa Hochstein, um, Alexia and Adriana coming back. That's and maybe that's just that's what my hopes are, but I could see those. Adriana is the face of of Miami, and I think it would. Be just a miss to not bring a familiar face back like her. Um, Alexia is one of my favorite housewives ever. Um, so I really hope that she is coming back. And Lisa Hochstein, although she was hosting a damn super spreader in Miami on Star <laughs> Island and got in trouble, shame on her. I do like guiltily love her <laughs> from Miami and yeah. I would love to see her back.
0: I mean, are there rules in Florida? I don't think so. I don't not
2: on Star Island apparently. <laughs> but um I there's also rumors that Phil Collins ex-wife um is in talks to join Wendy on her Watch What Happens Live said Andy if you bring back Miami, I will be a friend of you you can hold me to it. So Oh Wendy my god. Williams, that would be I mean, if Wendy incredible. Literally is a friend of. Could you imagine? <laughs> I mean, there is a housewife would be brilliant, but even a friend of. Wow. She would drop bombs and walk away, I'm sure.
0: It'd be, it'd be so epic. I'm just excited to see another warm weather city, mm-hmm. because the reason I started watching Housewives was because they were in California. And to me, that was exotic, and it was warm, mm-hmm. and they had pools, and they could go to the beach, and it was just like... This is everything. Like Beverly Hills is what like took me in, right? Mm. Watching these women, and Miami is just like the East Coast version of that. Mm. It's yes. got its own flair, but the the decadence and the warmth of the weather is is second to none. Do you
2: did you watch Miami?
0: No, not. I mean, I've seen like clips, but I didn't uh-huh. sit down and watch it, and I didn't watch it when it aired.
2: Okay, so season one, I will say. I mean, this is what actually I have a theory on why Miami failed to begin with. Um, So what happened was they announced, um, I mean, we knew Miami was coming eventually, but they announced Real Housewives of New York, I think season four was gonna premiere in February or whatever. And then all of a sudden it got closer and um, Bravo pulled it and they wanted to like keep going as far as either editing. I don't know if they needed to film more. But then they gave three weeks of promo for Real Housewives of Miami, which is for a new show. Bullshit! Like that's not enough time to amp people up, and it's brand new. You know, you need to you need to give that a lot of promo, and so they had three weeks of promo, and then the season was just, it wasn't filmed to be a Housewives. And kind that of like...
0: always happens. Like, yeah even Potomac in the beginning, mm-hmm. it was really tough.
2: It was a different show. It was literally them. It was supposed to be, you know, like Miami Socialites and like their theme that season, you know how everything that's not Housewives had a theme, um, was they would go over and do these cooking classes with each other at each other's homes. And, you know... So it was just a weird season and Larsa Pippen and Christy Rice were on the first season and probably two of the most unlike likable housewives I've ever watched. Um, And it just really was not good. So it was bad, like right out the gate. So then you have to like catch up for season two and they did a lot in season two, which at the time I didn't, Like again, I don't remember it being as iconic as it was, and it really was great, but they brought on all these personalities for season two. So they had seven housewives, and there wasn't enough time to get to know all of these ladies, because you have seven personalities. And then when they came back for season three, so then they cut it down to five. And I just think there was just mistakes along the way that didn't allow the audience to truly gravitate to them. But... I think the reboot is just what they need. I think they had the people for it. It's just getting the formula right.
0: Totally. I think um, Dallas could have suffered a similar fate had they not made some adjustments in seasons two and three.
2: Oh, 1,000%. I mean, Cameron Westcott and Deandra changed it season two. Completely.
0: Like,
2: I I mean, I used to say Deandra has had the biggest fall from grace, but she's redeeming herself this season, I think. But watching her come in so strong, and she was like someone who could talk to Leanne and you know, knock her down a few every so often. Um, we needed that. And then Cameron just the, the personality of Cameron alone is everything. The wealth is everything. And they really changed the game. And thank God, because I do love Dallas.
0: I do too. I've been really into it, you know, and I thought seasons like two and three were great.
2: Oh, yeah. Two and three were brilliant. Four is one one of the few seasons that I, I rarely cannot watch. I have to watch them in real time or like during their airing. I like took a break because it was too dark. I didn't really like it. Um, And now this season, pristine.
0: I love it. And I love Tiffany Moon.
2: Definitely, yeah.
0: Um. Okay, so before we get into Bethany and Carol, I just wanted to get your thoughts because it's something that I've noticed, especially over the last year or two, where. You know, I think certain housewives, especially ones with big personalities, go into a season and see it air, and they assume the audience is going to feel a certain way about them or about a situation, and then the audience has, like, the opposite reaction. So, like, for example, I think the women of Beverly Hills really thought that, you know, they were going to take down Lisa Vanderpump, and then everyone kind of sided with Lisa Vanderpump, and then, you know, Denise, and then that happened, or – um, you know, Jen Shaw is one that comes to mind where I think she assumed she would be a fan favorite. And in the beginning, I think she was. And then now she's seen maybe people don't have the best reactions to everything she does. And I think she's taking it very personally. So like, I don't know. What are your thoughts on this in general as like a how housewives react to things being aired?
2: So I think the big thing, like, I always say this, like all of us that are, you know, self-proclaimed housewives historians and, you know, people that are really deep in these shows and watch them all. I always say, no matter what, if say I was on Real Housewives and I was cast for, for the show, as a new housewife, no matter how much I think I know this show, I know damn well I would be shocked and surprised by the way it ends up coming out and playing out because what's crazy is you won't, like when they're filming you only know like your pieces of where you're filming and then, and then when you film together obviously but you're not like seeing everything else that's playing on so and you don't know how the story is all going to come together in the final product. So if you know, in your heart, like, this is what happened. And this is how I feel. And then you, once it comes to air, only bits and pieces are airing, or we're not getting full stories or, you know, the narrative is supposed to be going this way. I don't want to say editing because it's all things people have done. It's just, we got to remember that we're not seeing the full picture. And then when things play out the way that they do, and it may not, the reason why some of them might feel like, I don't know why people aren't understanding me. It's because they haven't seen every single piece and you Mm -hmm. can't always get that. Unfortunately, for instance, you know, with Jen Shaw, you know, I think with her, and I've said this from the beginning, She could be an iconic housewife, she just got to let herself be iconic without trying to be iconic, yes. And I think that was her misstep this season, in addition to this most recent Instagram live that has gone sort of viral about her comparing herself to George George Floyd. Floyd And and that you know,
0: I only found out in the last few days that that actually was from June, so like right after.
2: Oh, I did not know. I thought that was, like, this week.
0: No, apparently that original one was from June, and then no one really said anything back then because I don't think they knew the context in which she was talking, and...
2: Yikes. Yeah. Wow. Well... (laughs) That is a choice. Oh, my. Okay. Well, so... The other thing, I just think um, I think we as art viewers as well need to remember that sometimes we don't need to blame the personalities themselves on things versus production, because for and that's where I go with Beverly Hills, where I now have I sort of have like a, a, a I feel a certain way about evolution. And them doing, they've done Beverly Hills and OC forever. And I'm starting to see, I don't think it's the women that are dragging on storylines forever. I actually think this is a production fault. Because think of last season when we saw that Secrets Revealed episode. And there it was the was best. So much going on that we, like, we could have had that same storyline if they. that's the storyline they wanted but you could have sporadically threw in other things to break it up. So it doesn't seem like all these women are coming on Denise for one issue. You know what I mean? Like, so, and then same with like, you know, the Lisa Vanderpump thing. I mean, do, I understand why the women felt it was LVP. Absolutely. Do I think it was LVP? No, I don't. I, I do think that this is the one thing she was not behind, but it looks like, it's more production playing this storyline than I think the women. Yes. They're going to be visibly talking about it and actively involved because they're the cast members, but production is ultimately responsible for what we see. So
0: I'm starting to think. I really like this theory because what I mean? it makes sense in, in a way. Like, it's not like yeah. the women are harping the whole time. There's other things that are happening. It's just the way the story is being told. That makes a lot of sense to me.
2: And I mean, I just that makes me like question everything. I'm like, do we need to shake up production for?
0: Well, hasn't there been a big shakeup within Evolution Media and things since then? Like, for example, the last two seasons of Vanderpump Rules have not been up to par. Um, Mm -hmm. You could say, oh, they're getting older and they're more stable, but I doubt that's possible.
2: (laughs) Well, Vanderpump Rules is a whole other that's um, a whole other
0: game. That one,
2: for me, it's like, there needs to be another show. Like, if they wanted to continue with the OGs, move that on. But even
0: season seven, you know, even before the latest season, the season before that wasn't as good.
2: The reason why I think is because the reason we fell in love with Pump Rules was, let's be honest, they were messy young professionals trying to make it in L.A. with, you know, partying. They were um sleeping with each other they were sli- you know sleeping with strangers like that's we want to see a struggling group of people live their way through life and sort of make it you know what i mean yeah um but once you start getting married and all of that stuff you don't you, i mean you could go start cheating on your wife but they're not going to do that you know like we don't we want to see the mess so the mess now is like you're talking shit about me and and that's just not enough from where we came from like you're right literally Sandoval was sleeping, and Kristen slept with Jax on their futon. Like that's <laughs> insane. His best friend <laughs> fucked his girlfriend while he was in the other room. Like wild. So now it's like it just seems nothing. I don't think will be good enough. Yeah. With that group, but but what I always said is like if they want to keep following that group, move them onto like a Pump Rules OG. Let's get a new group of young f- friends in. You know, some capacity. Um, actually, my ideal situation for would be focus more on Tom. Tom make Tom completely. and Tom, yes. Katie and Ariana, Are, like yes. The main people let them like the play Lisas. the role of Lisa. Yeah, totally. Yes, I'm
0: over the role Have, of Lisa. It's exactly so overdone.
2: Oh. I do the viewers' voice surveys for NBC, and I ripped Pump Rules to shreds. Not ripped it to shreds, but I said you cannot have lisa being inserted so
0: obviously
2: like, obviously like she was last year like going like horseback right or like i'm
0: gonna go hang out with the, i'm with, gonna put the my bra in tom schwartz's luggage like, like it's, it's not even funny as a joke
2: that was like a fall from grace as well it's like i regret leaving beverly hills because now i don't really make sense but i want my screen time kind of yep you know what i mean? Totally. But so that's what I was saying. It was like, make it them, bring over Charlie and Dana, Danica, and then bring up a bunch of new TomTom Tom servers or something. And I, I know the TomTom, Tom, uh, you know, that their employees are close and stuff. So I'm sure we will get a nice, similar feel to OG Pump Rules. And we can still keep some of the familiar faces. But totally. I, with evolution i think they did end up the he- the people that were running are like the ep and stuff of Beverly Hills i think they are all gone i think they refreshed it so i don't know we'll see how that
0: we'll plays see a role. but it's interesting though to see how some housewives like think something will be taken when it airs mm-hmm. and i and then it obviously goes a different direction the only person who i think was smart enough and clever enough to kind of Formulate it the way they wanted was Bethany. So she knew in advance that she was going to, I think, have a storyline about her fallout with Carol, unbeknownst to Carol, and make herself the one that is most sided with. And she's so she's a producer. And she convinced it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to talk to you about primarily today. Because when it aired, I just couldn't get over how many people were Team Bethany. It felt Thank like you. everyone was Team Bethany. I thought I was crazy. And yes, Carol was extremely unlikable at the reunion. Extremely unlikable. I, I understand why, but she did not come across great, right? No. Especially in, with regards to Tinsley. Well, yes,
2: Absolutely. And this is actually funny that we're talking about I think I might've told you this already, but so my boyfriend does not watch housewives. Um, I think I kind of ruined housewives for him because (laughs) of my love for it. But I vividly remember this when the reunion was airing with Bethany and Carol going at it. And I remember sitting on the edge of the bed, both of us watching this and I go, Oh, thank God. This is all happening because finally people are gonna that are team bethany are gonna be like i get it on um, uh, like carol I, I should have been more team carol or, or just like see more of carol's side and he looks at me and goes that's what you got from that he's like i absolutely am team bethany on this and he doesn't even really watch a lot of it he do- and i'm sure he didn't know like the, the full context of everything but like it was crazy that we were watched the exact same thing at the exact same time and got two totally different perspectives. Completely. And that, I feel like that, Bethany and Carol, and then Monique and Candace are like the two major s- storylines in Bravo history where you are watching the same thing and people have two wildly different perspectives.
0: Completely. And that's what makes it so interesting, right? Mm -hmm. Like these shows are so fascinating. But
2: absolutely
0: one of the other things that I think influenced the show was they were back then doing blogs. Do you remember this? Oh yes. Where so like Bethany would do a blog and Carol would do a blog and it would accompany it would be like their thoughts on that episode that week. And it's just interesting because I reread Carol's blog from the very beginning of the season and she wrote um that like she just seemed kind of shocked at how hard bethany came for her in that premiere and she basically said like bethany's obsessed with my outfits my clothes like who i hang out with and she's relentless mm. and th- from that point i was like oh they're not approaching this the same way like Bethany came in with an agenda and Carol was caught off guard. And that's how I felt the whole season.
2: And let me also say, although I was team Carol, I was more actually in the words of Manny, um, from mixing with Monty, I'm team to the table with <laughs> in reality. Like, yeah, I've always said that in this fight, they were both wrong in ways. But I was always leaning towards Carol. Like Carol, like they definitely both were wrong. I recognize where Bethany had felt certain ways in some of the things. But in the grand scheme of all of it, I always leaned towards Carol because I just felt that the same thing, like Carol was seeing something way different than Bethany was seeing. And Bethany is very calculated, And in everything that she does. And to me, it it just, I saw right through a lot of what Bethany was doing that season.
0: For me, it was two things. One was in one of the blogs, or I don't remember if it was the blog or if it was in the show, but she made a comment about Carol not being a mother that I thought was really awful. Because she knew how hard that cut. It was just something about how like you don't understand you don't do this like I have a, I'm a mom I have this I you know like kind of like we're all busy I, I don't know it was a, right. it wasn't it was done in a nasty way and I thought okay. ooh, she cuts to like deep right 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 But the main takeaway I had was that the whole season I felt like Carol had been setting what she thought, right, was healthy boundaries. Boundaries, yes. I believe that Bethany, like most housewives, is a narcissist and was reacting to the boundaries being set up. And was trying to do everything she could do to undermine Carol because she was, she was filled with narcissistic rage at the fact that someone would set up a boundary for her.
2: I 1000% agree with you on that. 1000%. And that's what I was like. Bethany could not imagine someone not wanting to be her friend or even be more acquaintance than friend or not even not be their friend. And because everyone kisses up to Bethany, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that shook her world. And then that, but at the same time, when I was watching this in real time, I was also thinking on Bethany's defense. I was like, I think Bethany's hurt. She doesn't know where her, where the friendship went wrong. And I can see that, but the way she went about it, I don't think was great. And now learning further information about what all was going down that changes a lot of things let's talk
0: about that further information so you know in the beginning this is how i think it aired right so it Mm -hmm. seemed pretty much to kind of be reminiscent of the jill and bethany fight yeah where it's like two people who are really close spent a summer doing different things (laughs) and You know, Bethany was very focused on Puerto Rico and all of that. Carol was training for the marathon, and she was going through a breakup with Adam. And then they came back, and they were kind of annoyed that each other wasn't recognizing, you know, what each other had gone through that particular summer. And then – they were just getting more and more annoyed and it kind of like went out of control. And so Carol became like a little bit dismissive and cold and Bethany was like trying to get her attention and was a little bit more controlling and manipulative. Mm -hmm. So I think it was more like, that's how it aired. It felt like they were sort of irritated with one another. But then we find out that Carol spent the summer supporting her friend, Cassandra Gray, whose husband had just died And we all know Carol's a widow, and she, you know, understood the depths of this woman's grief. And so while she was so focused on her friend, she was a little bit less able to be there, I think, for some of her other friends, including Bethany. Right. And then at the same time, Bethany really you know, was very focused on Puerto Rico and she was very focused on who do I know who knows people who can help me get what I need to get. So like who has private planes, who has, you know, money, cash that they can just give, you know, kind of who knows who. And Carol knew a lot of people. And Bethany, I think, was always trying to get in touch with her to get her contacts. And I think Carol was very focused on this friend who had just lost her husband Right. So I think you know there was a bit of a disconnect, and then with Carol, and, and I've done this before when someone reacts really emotionally to something that I do, and I feel like it is unwarranted, mm-hmm. I step back.
2: You take a step. I take you, a step you're back. Like, Whoa, from them. like I see that was how a lot. You yeah. know, like
0: how did you have that reaction to something that I did or even did not do? right like, i'm an I'm, i don't trust how you're going to react to me in the future so i'm going to like keep and so i think carol was taking these like little steps back maybe without realizing it mm-hmm. and bethany then was continuing to like pound and try and and then when she did those like long text messages that came out throughout you know the season you know to carol it was a lot for carol to absorb when she was spending so much time and emotional energy on um, this friend.
2: Absolutely. And I think like Bethany, to me, she's very robotic with emotions. You know what I mean? So like, for instance, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm an emotional person. Like I don't get upset very easily and stuff, but I take people's emotions on I think a lot Mm -hmm. so for and being working in pediatrics pediatric oncology like sometimes I come home from work and I'm just like okay I literally can't listen to anybody right now like any problems because I just took on a lot today kind of deal and I know my boundaries and all of that and I feel like I can see probably where Carol was at in that moment like I understand this woman, my friend is mad over all of this stuff, but I emotionally can't take this on and I'm going to, I'm just not going to get involved with that. And so I kind of, I think maybe knowing that at that time for me, I was like, I recognize what Carol's feeling right now. And I think that's essentially something that Bethany can't compute because I don't think she has the emotional intelligence or capacity for that it's always like something happens and it's like meltdown crying it's never like actually thinking through and experiencing emotions you know what i mean
0: totally and it like to bring it back to what's going on with salt lake city is that the opposite i've done i've also done gone the heather route and been like Mm -hmm. okay i see i have a friend that's reacting very um intensely to something Mm -hmm. I did or did not do and so I'm gonna listen and then Mm -hmm. I'm gonna tell them honestly what I think is going on right and when you speak honestly to someone who is very self involved Mm -hmm. it it can backfire And they can totally freak out at you. And then sometimes you wonder, like, am I the one that's not seen this correctly? Like, I sometimes – and you have to, like, be grounded in your version of reality to be like, no, I'm a good friend. Like, you know how Heather is, like, and Carol, like, I'm a good friend to you. And, you know, where I think things went wrong is – you know whereas heather told jen i'm afraid of losing you as a friend i think you care more about these other people than you care about your friendship with me i'm going to tell you how i feel you know mm-hmm. carol i think just didn't voice what was going on she didn't say you know i don't have the capacity to to talk to you about this right now cuz i'm right. dealing with some really heavy emotional stuff and her Absolutely. lack of like explaining it to Bethany, not that it would have helped, but I think it caused like the paramount amount rest. of tension.
2: Yes, I 100% agree with you on that.
0: 1000%. What do you think like do you see any parallels between like Heather and or like differences between Heather and Jen because it appears like they had been quite good friends prior I, to filming.
2: I think Jen and Heather just have extremely different views on friendship. And this is one thing that I feel like we can see in a lot of housewives friendships, to be honest. Jersey is another one, but loyalty is a, is very, is an overused term I think in housewives world because loyalty to me, and what does it mean to each housewife? Right. So to me, loyalty, loyalty means I'm going to be a loyal friend to you. I'm going to be a good friend to you. That means I'm going to celebrate your wins. I am going to prop you up and, you know, like celebrate all of the good things about you. What I'm also going to do is when you're wrong, I'm going to be a loyal friend and tell you when you're wrong, because I don't want you looking like an ass Mm -hmm. and But then, some people's version of loyalty is, "You have my back no matter what. If you're, if I'm wrong, keep your mouth shut and still march on." And that, to me, is toxic because that's not being loyal. That's being a yes man and just saying, "Uh, "You can do no wrong," and that's just not how the world works. I would much rather somebody tell me, "Hey, Steve." I think you're doing this, this, and the other. Maybe look from this perspective and how this person's feeling and just sort of paint a picture. And then maybe I would think, oh, I can see that. I still feel this way, but I at least can recognize the other person's side. You know what I mean? Totally. Um, And I don't think, I think that's the biggest um, difference in Housewives on these shows is what does loyalty mean to you? Does loyalty mean you're going to hold me accountable? Or does it mean you're just going to ride for me no matter what?
0: It's like, do you want a fan or do you want right. a friend?
2: And some of them are super narcissistic enough to say they want a fan.
0: Yep. But at least they're they won't being use honest the word fan, about it. But, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's just so interesting to like watch these friendships and the dynamics. Maybe everyone needs to have a friendship contract.
2: <laughs> I... There you go. Maybe Cynthia's (laughs) been right this whole damn time and we didn't know it.
0: It's like you write down how you like to give love and how you like to receive love and we'll make sure it's compatible. (laughs) Seriously. But But actually, I mean,
2: this is the point of Housewives. I always say it's a sociological experiment, to be honest, because you're putting these women in groups of friends in a situation that they may not normally be in. They're they're required to interact with. So say, you know, when it all started, it's all a group of friends, right? It's now, you know, some people are friends and then they're bringing in other people that are from the you know, the group they know, you know, distantly maybe, or they may also know them, but it's a sociological experiment because it's like, you were forced to be open about your feelings about something you may keep to yourself in a normal everyday life. You're forced to stay with and be around a person that you don't like because you're contractually supposed to be there. So you are now maybe reacting in a way that you didn't see yourself reacting because you are you have to be there. Mm-hmm. You may have just walked away and cut that person out, but this is your cast member. So it's incredible to watch all these different women go through life in front of us and have to react to the situations presented to them. And then six months later, rewatch it, hear what everybody else is saying. So then you're in your head like, oh, shit, that that person felt that way. This this was going on at this time. It's a whole game. And it's
0: fascinating to watch. It is. I find this so fascinating. I really like this, like deep dives into friendships, you know, because watching it It's like, I feel like I've been there before sometimes. And the friendships that I have that have lasted a really long time have been because we've been honest with each other and we've been there for each other. You know, I had a friend um, that, you know, not too long after New Year's was telling me, Hey, you know what? I have been really annoyed with you lately, and I think it was actually me projecting some things like onto you that I was actually annoyed with about myself. So I talked to one of our other friends about you, and I just wanted to let you know I'm really sorry. And I was like, oh, that's okay. And she's like, it's, oh, wow. I mean, she's like, I don't know, this like quarantine, everything's getting to me. And I was just really annoyed with you. I don't think I've ever done that before. And I'm like, that's fine. Like, honestly, wow, that's such a healthy way. It was like do. so healthy. It was like, but we hadn't spoken in a few weeks. And I was like, we usually talk so much, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and she was like, I'm just dealing with a lot and I think I didn't want to deal with it. And so I was just finding things to nitpick about other people. Gotcha. And I was like, oh. you know what? Thank you. Like, I will always forgive you. Like, we don't need yes. to rehash this. You know, and it's just like being able to be open and honest with Mm -hmm. your friends is so amazing. And you feel so much stronger after. And she's like, I thought you were just gonna be so mad. And, you know, I wasn't there for you during a tough time. And I was like, we can all move past this. This is a tough time for For everyone. everyone. Yeah. And so we all need to give each other a little grace.
2: I agree with that. That's such a good story. I love that. I know. (laughs) Tell her to, to listen, <laughs> yes, that was amazing. Like I feel like that's a rare thing for people to just own up to that totally. like say hey, guess what? I said this. I did this. I was wrong and then a few weeks later, you
0: know. we decided to go into Potomac, Maryland, and uh-huh. drive and see if we could find some of the houses that oh, the women yes. <laughs> so we found like some of the season one houses. Oh, and then we were going to this park and <laughs> I don't know on <laughs> the story. And it was like a Google Maps was like taking us this really weird route and she kept to me like this doesn't look right and I kept to me like Google Maps is telling us like I'm such uh-huh. a like rule follower. Right. And so we ended up going in someone's like private driveway on like oh, a no. really really nice house like in kind of like in the middle of Potomac and it was uh-huh. really woodsy and it was really narrow. And I'm about Three minutes up this driveway and realize it's a private driveway and there's uh-huh. now trespassing signs. So ah! I, I can't I can't turn around, right? Oh, no. So I have to go back the whole way. <laughs> I <laughs> ran over one of their lights that they had. Ah! the side of the driveway and I was like oh my god because they have this like lit kind of thing so I was like I need to leave a note in the mailbox and say I'm sorry I ran over your light but I like didn't have paper so I took like a piece of my <laughs> of my car manual oh,
2: and,
0: like, my god. ripped it out and was like really sorry I like <laughs> ran like Google Maps took me to your driveway like I don't you know and I left oh my, my phone number and they texted me a few days later and were like LOL n- th- no big deal Um, thanks for the note and it was a picture of my note and it was like oh, we replaced it it wasn't that expensive <laughs> like, that's so funny oh, <laughs> it, I was God. so nervous for days so anyways me and this that's friend are hysterical. always going on crazy housewives adventures together you
2: know that's actually a moment that I think would make it into housewives like (laughs) two housewives like going to do something and then that happens that sounds like something that would be in throughout at some point in the season
0: (laughs) so funny so many adventures um but we gotta wrap up but I so appreciate you being on this is so funny tell everyone like where they can find you and where they can listen to you and about your youtube show
2: yes so so Faces by Bravo on Instagram, um, follow for the laughs, the the tears, the tea, <laughs> the tears, everything, <laughs> you know, all range of emotions, to be honest. And then we do lots of brackets. I do trivia. Um, it's a lot of fun. And then right now on hiatus with But Now We Said It, but go look at, um, watch our old uh, videos on YouTube. Just search But Now We Said It. It's me, my friends, Malcolm, Anil, and Jeff. And basically like a view style show talking everything Bravo and housewives. So amazing.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good one.